Go ahead and grab a seat. <clears throat> My name is Ricky. I'm one of the pastors that serves here. So good to be with you guys today. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Hebrews 11. Uh, you could also maybe make a little spot there in Genesis 12. Um, he had taken another step. <clears throat> he was now higher than he had ever been. His heart began to race faster and faster. Now his knees were starting to tremble. Could he possibly go higher? His hand cautiously reached up to grab a hold of the next rung. And then he started to look down. He notices how high up he is. The thought of going any higher, the thought of climbing up any higher had now passed. The only thought that could fill his mind was, don't let go. Hang on as tightly as you possibly can. Then he hears a voice. It's the voice of his father. And I said to my son, Colton, keep going, man. You can do it. You, you, You won't fall. Don't worry about it. And again, the, the moment was over and he wasn't going to go any higher. This, uh, this was just a couple months ago. We had gone with some friends to Mahoney State Park and they have a climbing wall up there. And this was my son Colton. He's seven. This was his first time uh, climbing up on, on the climbing wall and, and he did really good. But he started to get a little scared. He'd gotten about eight, ten feet high off the ground and it's totally understandable that he would have gotten scared. But what made him stop from going any higher is that he started to focus to his circumstances, and he started to feel uncertain. Um, he, w- he was pretty high off the ground, but in the moment, he didn't, he didn't know if he would get hurt if he fell. He couldn't focus on the truth that actually, if he let go, he's not going to fall because he's harnessed in, and there's no way that he's even going to fall down at all, but all he could think about was just what he could see, and because of that, He couldn't move, couldn't go any higher. And and for us, we we face the same tendency of not being able to move, not being able to follow God, because we, we do the same. We tend to just look at the things that are right in front of us. We're tending, we, we look at our circumstances. How can we follow God? How can we obey God or even have faith, trust God? When everything around us seems so uncertain, when the future seems so uncertain, how can we possibly follow God or have any faith when things around us look the way they do? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Um, Last week, uh, we started going through this chapter. Austin started kicking us off. And so we're going to pick it up there. In verse 8, and it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Um, and again, this is, this, 
chapter is uh, just referred to as, you know, the chapter all about faith. And last week, Austin talked to us about what faith is, and he said that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It talks about that in verse 1. It is the conviction of things unseen, right? Faith is not some wishful thinking. Just kind of cross your fingers, hope it turns out right. I think it's going to happen. It's not that. It is this confident trust, this conviction, this assurance of things that we can't necessarily see, but we just have this confident trust in God. Not because of the things that we see, but because of who he is. And that's what faith is. And in verse 8 through 10, we see here the response of faith. So first point, first observation is the response of faith. And in these verses here, this is actually pointing us back to a place in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Uh, If you want, you could turn there real quick. But this is what it says in Genesis 12, verse 1. This is when God comes to Abram. Um, Now the Lord, this is verse 1 of Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram. Now here in uh, Hebrews 12, it uh, refers to him as Abraham. Just to make sure God changed, uh, kind of renames Abram to Abraham, meaning the father of many. So... um, He said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So God tells Abram, Abraham, hey, leave, leave everything, leave your father's house, leave, leave all the things that you know, all the things that you're familiar with, leave the security, leave your, the rest of your family, Leave, leave the, your inheritance because your father's actually going to give you his, his inheritance when he passes on. Leave all of that and go somewhere else. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you your inheritance. But see, God doesn't tell him where to go. And, and so there's a lot of uncertainty of when God comes to Abraham and tells him to leave all of these things. God doesn't tell Abraham where he's going to go. God doesn't tell him how long this is going to take. God doesn't really tell him much of anything. Doesn't say who will be there. Hey, this land, when you get there, this is who will be there, and this is how things will exactly turn out. None of that, or even how this will happen. He just says, hey, leave everything that you know and get out. Go to this land somewhere, and I'm going to show you where it is. But, but what is Abraham's response in all this? Amidst all of this uncertainty, look at verse 4 uh, in Hebrews, uh, or sorry, in Genesis 12, verse 4, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. That was his response. He obeyed. That's what we see in, Gen- in Hebrews 12. Abraham, by faith, obeyed. And it says here that he obeyed not knowing not knowing where he was going. Abraham didn't even have to know where he was going. Abraham didn't have to know the circumstances. He, Abraham didn't base his obedience off of having crystal clear clarity or it being practical. It's actually totally not practical or, or making sure that all the circumstances around his obedience are all the way that they should be. And in many ways, Abraham doesn't really have a lot of guarantees other than just God said this. But he goes out, he went out not knowing. But the response of faith is obedience. 
How, how, what is, when we have faith, how does faith respond? It responds in obedience to what God says. Faith results in action. It results in movement. It isn't just because you know something or have it all figured out or because you're so sure about all the details or all the logistics. Faith is trusting God, not because it's clarity, but just because he's the one that said it. And so faith, the response of faith is obedience, not because we know what will happen, but because we know who said it, who commanded it. This is what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, we don't live on explanations. We live on promises from God. And so Abraham, he goes out, he, he goes out not knowing. He didn't need to know where. But how many of us do we really need to know what's going to happen? We need to know all the details. We need to have crystal clear clarity before we will follow God. Right? I mean, many times... We say, well, if I just knew what God wanted me to do, I would do it. Right? If God just told me what he wanted from me, then I would follow him. I would, I would totally do that thing. If he would just make it clear to me, I would follow. Right? But how many times do we actually know something that God has commanded us, has told us, and we don't actually obey it? Right? Is there anything right now for you today that you know what God wants you to do? You know what he has commanded you to do. And you don't really need more clarity in that. You just need to obey. And you just need to follow. See, in this, this isn't about mainly us just getting more faith. Hey, just believe more. Kind of muster that up. But obeying what God has already made clear to us. Abraham didn't know a lot of these things, but he knew where God had told him to do, and he obeyed that. So he obeys. That is his response. And in, and in verse 9, Abraham gets to the land of promise, he gets to where God had shown him. And it says, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents. Now, th- this seems kind of different than what God had promised. See, God said, hey, I'm going to take you to this land, and this is going to be your land, your inheritance. This is the promised land, and you're going to basically own all of this. But what do we see Abraham doing? He's, he doesn't own it. This doesn't really seem to be working out the way that it's meant to be working out. He's living in a tent. Tents are temporary. You can move them all around. He doesn't own the land and, and God, but God said, hey, he would give the land to Abram, but we see here, but Abram doesn't have it. And actually, the entire time that Abraham is in the promised land, decades and decades, Abraham never owns any of it. The only speck of land that Abram only owns is a cave, and that's actually just to bury his wife. And so things don't really seem to be awesome here. I'm going to give you this land, but hey, it's really not yours. And this land is supposed to be his, but he's moving around in these not permanent, no foundation tents. Things are not really working out. But again, what does the text say? What does Abraham do? Because all of these circumstances, God, you said this, but my circumstances don't look like what you said. There's a disconnect. 
But what does Abraham do? It says that he just continued to live in the land even though he's living in these tents. He kept following. He kept obeying by faith. Though things were not working out, even though the circumstances are not good, even though he doesn't have the land, he keeps following. See, in in verse 9, Abraham obeyed not knowing. Not knowing where he's going, but in verse 10 we see that he, or in verse 8 he obeyed not not knowing, but in verse 9 he obeyed not having. Right? He doesn't have the land. He doesn't have anything permanent. He's living in tents. That is the response of faith, is to obey. I mean, Austin, he pointed this out last week. He said, faith isn't an abstract agreeance to some, an abstract agreeance to some facts, but a real lifestyle that operates in light of that faith. That's what we're talking about. It's not just knowing everything, but it is a lifestyle that is following God, responding in obedience. Faith moves. And while Abraham, he he obeys not knowing, not having things are not working out. He's living in tents. He keeps following God because he's looking ahead. This is how he can keep going because of what verse 10 says. Because you, you might be wondering, how could you keep following? How could you keep having faith? Verse 10, for he was looking forward, not around, not to what's going on, but he's looking forward to the city that has foundations to whose designer and builder is God. See, tents don't have foundations. They're not permanent. But Abraham, he was looking to what is permanent, to what does have foundations. Not my tent, not my circumstances. Those are temporary. But God, what you're going to do, the city that you're designing, the city that you're building is eternal. It is permanent. It has foundations. Hey, I might not know exactly how my circumstances in my life right now are going to work out, but I do know that. And so Abraham, he's not looking to what's right around him, but he's looking ahead to what God would do in the future. But many of us, we approach God with, with kind of a different mentality. We approach God with the mentality of, hey, will Jesus work for me? I, I, I will believe, God, I'll follow you, Jesus, if it will benefit me or, or, or if it will make me happy. I, or, or maybe you're thinking, well, man, I don't know if I believe in God because he didn't answer pr- my prayers the way that I wanted him to. And we tend to not believe in God, not trust God. Maybe we tend to not obey or follow God because of our circumstances, what they are or what they might be. But we'll follow God as long as it's working out for us. And this shows us that we're not really worshiping God. We're worshiping our circumstances. We're worshiping ourselves. We look to our circumstances to tell us what is true or what we should or shouldn't do, right? We compromise on reserving sex for marriage, even though we know that's what God has said. We compromise following God because it isn't working out for us. Maybe you settle for someone who doesn't really know Jesus, really doesn't care about Jesus, but we're uncertain if we we don't just keep pursuing that relationship, even though they don't know God, we're uncertain, well... What about the next relationship? Do I have any guarantees that I'm actually going to end up with somebody else in a different, better relationship? 
And so we, we said, or, or maybe we don't give or worship God with our finances because of why? Because of the uncertainty of our circumstances right now. Or if I give financially, what about next month? There's some uncertainty about that. I don't know if I want to follow or worship God in that way because of the uncertainty of the future, the certainty of my life. But even if you don't see the fruit of better circumstances or of following Jesus, Keep responding in obedience. Keep following God, even if you don't see this exact benefit paying off right now. If you don't see the benefit right now of giving financially to God and to his kingdom, keep giving. If you don't see the fruit in your kid's life or in somebody else's life as you're pointing them to Jesus and you don't see it happening, just keep pointing them to Jesus. Maybe you're reading the Bible right now and you're just not seeing it. Man, I've been reading this a long time. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Keep pursuing Jesus. Keep following. Keep pressing in. Maybe you've been praying for a long time and it's just, it doesn't seem to be answered the way that you want it to be. Keep obeying. Keep pursuing Jesus. It doesn't matter if it's practical. It doesn't matter if it's benefiting you exactly or making you happy or, or changing your circumstances right in the moment. You keep doing it because it is true, because God is there. Right? I mean, if you got better circumstances and all the exact circumstances that you wanted, yay, then what? Right? They're going to change. They're temporary, just like those tents that Abraham is living in. They can change on a whim. But faith, looking to God, trusting God, I have this conviction about who you are, not because of what is unseen, but this conviction of the things that are hoped for that are even unseen. God, I'm looking to you. That leads us to the greatest love that we can ever know. And Abraham, he responded in faith, not because he knew where he was going, not because everything was working out with him. He went because who was with him? And his circumstances aren't what mattered most, but it was his response. Jesus didn't have great circumstances. I mean, he was born to a poorer family. As a child, they're on, a move, on the move because other people are wanting to kill Jesus. Then later in his life, Jesus is healing people, preaching the good news, but people don't really want him. Right, And so they, all these religious leaders start to conspire against Christ. And right before Jesus, is, I mean, he's about to face the hardest time of his life. Right before his, his friend that he'd been pointing into for three years is about to betray him. Right before Jesus is about to be taken and beaten and whipped and have nails driven through his hands and his feet right, right before he's about to be put on this trial unjustly and mocked. And all, right before all of the sin of the world is about to just be poured out on him. Jesus comes to his father with one huge, giant request. And he says, Father, if it's possible, rescue me. Take this away. Change my circumstances. If it's possible, take this cup from me. And the father turns him down. Jesus wasn't great because of his circumstances. Jesus was great because in the midst of all of these cruddy, awful circumstances, Jesus still comes to the father and he says, not my will, but your will be done. 
I'm going to follow you in obedience. My circumstances look crazy, but I'm going to trust you. How we respond to God is bigger than our circumstances. We don't, we don't need exactly different circumstances right now in our life. We need a different heart to face those circumstances. We need a different perspective of God, and God gives us that through his word, through his spirit, through his, his people, his family, helping change and shape us. We're constantly trying to, to think, hey, how can I arrange my circumstances to fit us, to fit me? When God is thinking, I actually want to arrange you so that you could fit any kind of circumstance. Right? That's the, the response of faith is obedience, and it's, it's important. But what we see um, matters even more is our object of faith. So second point is our object of faith. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah her, herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him. In the underlined circle, highlight this, him faithful, considered him faithful, underline that, who had promised. To, to just give you a picture, Abraham and Sarah, they're in the middle of nowhere, living in these tents, not owning the land, not having a homeland, and they're just in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of sheep. Abraham is 100 years old. Even the text says uh, there in verse 12 that he was as good as dead. And that's pretty old. <laughs> and Sarah is 90 years old. They haven't together, the two of them, haven't had one kid yet. And God, in, G in Genesis 17, he comes to them and he says, you're going to have a son. And not just a son, but you guys, you guys will be the, the father and mother of many nations. I mean, if I'm Abraham in that point, I feel like I need to help God see the real picture here. You know, well, uh, we, you know we, we don't even own a kid, let alone many kids that would make up an entire nation. We're not, we're not close to becoming a nation. And, and hey, God, look at me. I'm 100. I mean, look at her. And she's like, well, I'm 10 years younger than you. Right? I mean, this doesn't seem that awesome. Right? This, this doesn't even seem possible. And early, earlier, Abraham, he went, he obeyed, not knowing, and then he continued to live not having the land. And here, it's not happening. Right? He doesn't know. He doesn't have. It doesn't make sense. Right? He's as good as dead. This situation is laughable. And actually, in Genesis 17, when God comes to Abraham to reaffirm this promise to him, that's actually exactly what Abraham does. He falls down laughing. In the next chapter, these three men come to Abraham, and they reaffirm the promise to him. And Sarah is in the tent next to them, and she's listening, and she laughs. And it's kind of funny because then, 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 then it says, the Lord says, why did Sarah laugh? And then she denies it. No, I didn't laugh. And it's just like, no, but you did laugh. I just, I just think, I don't know, remind me of like my kids. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Um, but so, so we actually said that Abraham and Sarah, they doubted the promise. They, they doubted. They're, they're laughing at what God is telling them. That doesn't really sound like faith. But faith even if it's wavering faith, even if it's imperfect, not amazing, awesome, totally, totally as high as it can be, faith can still qualify a person as being faithful. 
Because it isn't necessarily about how much faith you have, but the object of your faith, what your faith is in, right? We're, we, we don't look to ourselves, right? We're looking to God. He is the object of our faith. I mean, maybe you've heard people say this, hey, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, right? Hey, it doesn't actually matter the object of your faith. What matters is your faith, right? With that mentality, you make it about you. you may, hey, faith is in your sincerity. Faith is in your faith, right? But what does the text say? It doesn't say that Sarah considered her faith awesome or faithful, She isn't the object of her faith. Her faith isn't the object of her faith. It says that she considered him, God, faithful. I don't know if I'm faithful. God, I'm going to mess up. But God, you are faithful. I'm considering you faithful, you trustworthy. Think of a windshield of a car. You, You don't, when you're driving, you don't look at the windshield. You look through the windshield to see something else. The the windshield is not there so that you can look at it. It's there so that you can look through it. And God is the object of our faith. And and we see him through our faith. Our faith is like the windshield. We're not meant to look at the windshield or at our faith. We're looking at God. That's the one that we're looking to, not to our our faith like the windshield. And, And Abraham and Sarah... Um, they, didn't, they didn't make it all those years following trusting God by looking to themselves, but they're looking to the object of their faith, God and his faithfulness. This is what author and pastor Kent Hughes said. He said, they weighed the human impossibility of becoming a father or mother against the divine impossibility of God being able to break his word. Hey, it's totally impossible that we could become a father or mother because we're super old. But then they waited against the impossibility that God would break his word, and they decided that since God is God, nothing is impossible. Back in Hebrews 6, it says that God made this promise to Abraham. He swore an oath, which is in reference to Genesis 15. Abraham asked God, he said, hey, how can I know that you will do everything that you've said? How how can I know that you will give me an offspring or a land? And so God, he, he, he tells Abram, he says, I want you to get some animals, and I want you to cut them in half. And, and, and for us, this seems pretty foreign, but back, back in those times, they, they didn't sign contracts. The, the way that they made a contract was cutting it, or, or the way that they made a covenant was cutting, cutting it a covenant. And they would, put the, they would cut these animals in half, and then they would pass through in between the animals, and it was this symbol of just saying, hey, if I break my promise, if I break the contract, the covenant, may I be cut, may I be broken like the animals are. And so Abraham does that, and he puts the, the animals on the side. But the thing is, in Genesis 15, Abraham doesn't walk through. Only God walks through. And God is saying, hey, I will not break my promise. I will give you what I've said And if I don't, may I be broken. May I be cut. I will be faithful, Abraham, even if you aren't faithful, so that you can have the blessing, so you can have the promise. 
You see, that's what we have in Christ. That's what we have in Jesus. We, were, we are not completely faithful to God. Right? We've, all of us have sinned against God. We've not obeyed. We, we've rebelled. We didn't follow. We don't trust God completely. But instead of us being broken, instead of us being killed, instead of us paying the price, instead of us being cut in two, Jesus said, I will be broken. I will be crucified. I will be split apart so that you can have the blessing. I know that you're not faithful, but I am. And instead of you taking that price on yourself for your sin, for not being faithful, I will take the punishment. I will take it on myself so that you can be saved. Because no matter what you do, you will continue to fall. You will continue to not be faithful. I'm not asking you to try to just clean yourself up, try to earn something that you can't earn. I'm asking you to trust me and that I've paid the price for your unfaithfulness. I'm the object of your faith. Not you, not even your own faith, but me because of what I've done for you on the cross. Consider him, God, Jesus, who is faithful. He's the object of our faith. And in verse 12, we see that he, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were, were born. God fulfilled it. We're born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as numerable as the grains of sand by the seashore. Even us today, we're a fulfillment of that promise because God did exactly what he said. And so we have the response of faith, verses 8 through 10, the object of our faith, And in verses uh, 13 through 16, we see the focus of faith. So that's the third point, the focus of faith. Here in verse 13, these, he's talking about everybody uh, previously in the chapter. I mean, maybe Abraham, uh, mainly Abraham and Sarah, but also the people previously. These all died in faith, not having received the things uh, promised. So they didn't receive them, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. So they didn't see the promises fulfilled. The text tells us that. Abraham and Sarah, they never got the land that was promised exactly. They lived there, but it really, they didn't own it. They were still foreigners. They were still strangers in a land that wasn't their own. Again, they were living in these tents. But in verses 14, 16, and actually even back to 10, it says they were seeking a different city. Hey, it's not about this. It's about something bigger, a heavenly one, a land that was, was their ultimate home. And again, their focus wasn't in the circumstances they were in, but the promises to come. Not the temporary right now, but the eternal future. Right? But that's hard to do. That's, that's, it's hard to live your life as a stranger, as an exile. Hey, this is supposed to be ours, but it's really not. Even though that is what we are in First, uh, First Peter 1 and 2, it refers to believers, to those who are following Christ, that, that we are exiles and strangers. That this earth is not ultimately our home. But many times that becomes our focus. Right? Even though God makes it clear that this isn't your home, this becomes our focus. And that's what could have happened to Abraham and Sarah. I mean, verse 15, it says, hey, if they had, if they had been thinking about their, if they had been thinking of that land from which they came, they would have went back. 
right? The circumstances around them stink. And if they had been focusing on that, thinking of that, they would have returned so that they could have gone back to the comfortable, made sure that their stuff, every, everything was the way that they wanted it to be for the right here, for the right now. Imagine if my wife, Christy, and I, if we were flying somewhere, and we're at the airport, and Christy looks around, and we're sitting there, and she says, hmm, I think this area, this area definitely needs a rug. This would be great. I'm, I'm, and, and then she goes and leaves, and she comes back with this rug and, and puts it out there on the ground. Yes, that looks very nice. Hey, what are you thinking? I'm not, I don't know. I'm not thinking anything. Um, it's decorative. I know, but, um, you know, and then, and then she comes to, you know, we, we start thinking of all these ideas. And so we get these lamps. We get these couches. We, we, we start to redo some paint in the airport. And we're painting the walls. And then we start posting up, hey, these are our family pictures. Yeah. Yeah, it's looking way good. This feels a lot better. Right? If we did that, you'd be like, that's crazy. Why? Well, because that's not your home, Ricky. That's just an airport. That's not the ultimate destination. That's just something that gets you to the ultimate destination. And many times, we treat this earth like the ultimate destination rather than the airport that it actually is. This is just pass, us passing through. This is not our home. Our home is with Jesus forever. So, so we shouldn't be focused on, hey, let's make our circumstances, our life, everything around us the most comfortable that it can possibly be because it's just an airport, right? We're not living just for the right here, for the right now, but we're living for eternal, for what will last. But we're focused on our ultimate home, our ultimate home, or sorry, hope and the promises of God. This is what 2 Corinthians 4.18 says. So we fix our eyes. Not on what is seen, and, and eyes is not necessarily saying just eyes, but your life, your faith. On, we don't fix it, fix it on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And that's the focus of our faith. We know that God is the object of our faith, but are we actually focused on God, on what he has said, on what he has promised what are you looking at? What is your mind focused on and treating as the ultimate things in your life? Abraham and Sarah, they kept following, kept obeying God because they didn't focus on how hard things were in the moment. Man, things aren't working out. Again, they still were strangers. They lived as exiles in the land. They were promised to be the father and mother of many nations, but their little entourage doesn't look like a nation. Abraham is not the father of many kids, let alone many nations. I have more kids than what Abraham had. I have three kids. How do you keep following when things are looking like that? How do, how do you, how do we keep following God? How do we keep having faith when it's so hard to have faith? How do we keep trusting God when it's so hard to trust God? How do we keep following God when it's not working out? Or even when it will cost us. If we're going to lose something, if we keep following God, how do we bear that loss and those tough circumstances? We need to learn to look at our comfort, our money, our status, our circumstances, not as the only thing that we have. I mean, if you were walking down the street 
and someone robbed you of 500, the $500 that you had in your pocket. But if you had $5 billion in the bank, how upset would you be? Right? I mean, kind of bummed, like, hey, that wasn't cool. But you'd be like, well, but I got, 500, I got $5 billion. Right? But another person, they could get robbed of $500, and they might be devastated if that's all they had. Right? If that's all they owned was just the 500 bucks, they would be devastated. Right? It's the same action, someone robbing someone. It's the same amount, 500 bucks. One person devastated, one person not so much. What's the difference? What you got in the bank. And we need to focus on what we have in our heavenly bank. Not to think of our comfort, our circumstances, our money, or whatever it may be as all we got, right? How can we keep going? How can we keep having faith? Is because we're not focused on what we're losing out of our pockets, but we're focused on what we have in the bank with God, his promises, who he is, what he said. That's our focus. And at the end of verse 16, it says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. Now think of this for a moment. For God is not ashamed of them. And for God to not be ashamed of us, what must we do? Text just says, desire God. It says they desired a heavenly home. They're not desiring just the, mainly the things around them. They're desiring God, Him, His promises. That's it. Desiring God above all these other things. And God is proud to be their God. He's not ashamed. And in Exodus, when God comes to Moses, he identifies himself. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's who I am. But he also identifies with us. I mean, God, when, when Jesus was baptized, God speaks over the son. He says, this is my son whom I love and am well pleased. That's, he's identifying himself completely with Jesus. And if you've trusted in Christ, he identifies completely with you. He's not ashamed to be called your God, your Savior. Not because you're awesome, but because Christ is awesome for us. And if we've trusted Christ, we're in Christ, brought into Christ, united with him. That's who we are. And so that's why we keep looking to Jesus not to our faith, but Christ. Later on, the next chapter, Hebrews 12, 2, it says, looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one that is changing us, shaping us. This is good news. This is amazing news, guys, because we don't worship just some, some set of beliefs or like, hey, I hope it's true, or some wishful thinking. We worship the one who is completely faithful to us, the one who will fulfill every promise, not because of, how, because of our great faith, not because of our obedience, not because we're so faithful, but because Christ is. That's the one that we're looking to. That's the one that we're focused on, the one who is faithful to us. So I'm just going to pray. And if you need just a, someone to pray with you, uh, there'll be some people in the foyer that you can pray with. Um, and so you could head that way as I pray.